UK Motor Talk. Well, hello there. We are back. We have three out of the four of us, plus Andrew sitting there luxuriating in his palatial office, controlling matters. Jim and Graham, how are we? Graham, you well? I'm very well. Have been uh, exercising uh, the Volvo over the weekend, tearing up and down motorways. More of that later, perhaps. <laughs> How's it going, Jim? All right? Uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm not too bad. I've been, uh, well, not doing too much mileage, but all mine's been electric. So bearing in mind your Volvo runs on uh, on dinosaur juice, I presume you've just taken up a uh, an equity release or similar on your property to uh, to be able <laughs> to afford it, haven't you? Because I think we saw two two oh something Shell's V powered diesel. So it's probably the most expensive fuel you can probably put in a car anywhere at the minute if you had to. I think it was two oh one point nine a litre and that's down here in Jeez, leafy surrey wept i've seen plenty of 199.9 for diesels on uh, on pole signs at services you know on or near motorways so that's kind of to be expected um but i the way things are going and it's crept up again another couple of pence in the last few days it's yeah. uh, i don't think yeah. it's going to be long before your your normal fuel station in a town away from a motorway is is going to be over two pounds for unleaded it's it's absolutely nuts but we can uh, we can at least take some consolation that the uh just on on quick rough calculations the uh the extra vat being collected by the treasury at the moment was something like 540 million pounds a month wasn't it just on some very quick yeah. maths from the price a few months ago to what it is now uh, of course, that figure will increase as uh, as we march towards two pounds a litre average. But it's a uh, it's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a number five hundred and forty million. I mean, it's not quite one hundred and forty eight. Uh, that's another number entirely this week. But uh, yeah, five hundred and forty million. That's that's a wedge of cash, isn't it? That'll help pay off some of the uh, money they've borrowed so far. But uh, uh, I just uh, I mean, the highest figure I saw over the weekend was in Marlow. Oh no, okay. There's maybe an argument that a lot of people that are driving very expensive cars in Marlow uh, can afford to pay 193 for unleaded and 198.9 for, for diesel. Uh, and when you pull up behind somebody who's just left in a largish vehicle and the pump's registering 120, 130 quid, you know, that's a serious chunk of money. It is. Uh, it's it's interesting just looking around. It doesn't seem to have slowed anyone down on uh, on the roads. As I've mentioned before, I'm back in the commuting mode three days a week. And uh, whilst I'm not driving my car, because that would bankrupt me within a couple of journeys, I think I'm using a one litre Fiesta EcoBoost, which, you know, returns 45 to 50 if you're fairly careful or not that careful even. But Everyone else seems to be driving at a thousand miles an hour still, so maybe they know something I don't. Maybe they've got a cheaper supply, but um, I'm certainly reining it in a bit more at the moment. It does help just knocking your average speed down by a, a couple of miles an hour, doesn't it? I mean, whether it's, uh, it's petrol or diesel or electric, we saw on our way back from Millbrook, didn't we? We uh, we set off in the morning and uh, made it up to Millbrook and parked in the car park and only had 47% of battery left. And bearing in mind we did the exact same journey in reverse on the way back, I made it all the way back home with 4% left. So that's a much better economy on the way back down than it was on the way up. But I just dialed the average speed. It wasn't much, was it? I just sort of set the cruise uh, or set the uh, the speed limiter to 
66, 65, 66 miles an hour, something like that. So not getting in the way and keeping up and, and whatever else, but just a couple of miles an hour. It did, uh, it did make a, a reasonable difference over that mileage, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And I, I've been doing much the same thing, Jim. Uh, I've been setting the cruise control on the motorway for uh, around 65. Uh, if I can keep that Volvo at 30 mpg plus, I'm reasonably content tearing down the motorways at uh, some of the ridiculous speeds that I saw over the over the weekend on the M4. And I'm sure Michael will echo this uh, on his marathon journey back from the nether regions of the western end of the country. People don't seem to be slowing down. Uh, and the number of people that I saw weaving in and out, just nobody seems to be going any slower. They're just grumbling more. <laughs> exactly. They're paying for the privilege. Well, talking of people paying an awful lot for the privilege, um, I think you shared this with us, Graham, the, um, the eye-wateringly expensive price. It's the most expensive car that's ever been sold, ever, in the world, I believe, which has outstripped the previously eye-watering figure, to my mind, by many, many times. Um, a Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR Uhlenhaut Coupe has sold for, wait for it, 135 million euros, which equates, well, probably these days to about 135 million pounds, but probably not quite. That's an awful lot of money for a car, isn't it? What's so special about the 300 SLR Uhlenhaut Coupe, Graham? Fabulous car, one of two, designed by uh, Mercedes chief engineer, for effectively his own personal use. And uh, just to chuck in a Sterling Moss story here, because uh, Sterling had actually driven that, and we, we were talking about it when it appeared at Goodwood some years ago. And uh, he was telling me that Renault uh, designed, because he wanted to use it as a, as a family car, essentially, he wanted to take it away on holiday, so he designed a super aerodynamic set of ski racks for the top of it. Can you imagine a car like that with ski racks on? bizarre but uh but there we are it was interesting the way I, I normally an auction and you know we've been to loads of them and covered loads of them over the years is open to all this wasn't you could bid only by invitation and uh, a very well-known uh car dealer based in switzerland who's very very close to mercedes actually organized the bidding list but the i thought the comment was interesting that the bidding started at above the level of that 250 GTO, which is really quite extraordinary. It sold for a, a, a ridiculous sum of money. With the condition that it can't just be hidden away in a museum, there was apparently a, a buyer's condition uh, that it has to be accessible uh, for certain special events. Interestingly also that Mercedes are not treasuring the money. It's going into a fund for research on the environment and so on and so on. It's a, a lot of good purposes, but it's a vast amount of money pay for a motor car isn't it just it's good for them but it's a uh, uh, what is it sort of 20 25 percent of the uh, of the monthly vat increase isn't it so it's a uh, it's a sniff do we do we know who bought it that's the, uh, the question no i don't think we ever will was it mr r sunak was it please deliver to <laughs> num number 11 downing street do not leave with neighbor if not in something like that <laughs> It's uh, outsold the GTO by 90 million euros. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> outsold it by 90 million euros, as you say. So what was that? That makes the Ferrari GTO was 45 million euros? Uh, I think it was, it's, the figure of 42 million 42. Uh, sort of rings a bell. But 
Uh, I mean, I've not seen anything sold at that level, but I do remember seeing the X Fangio uh, W196, which is is related uh, to this car. Uh, it was the the uh, closed wheel race car um, with a different engine, I think. Um, and I can remember that being sold, and it, it, it's always stuck with me. Dear old Robert Brooks, who sadly is no longer with us, uh, taken away by cancer, but he was a great auctioneer and a great actor on the on the podium. And he paused because he couldn't get that car above 11 million. And he waited and he talked to the room and, and they sold that for 19 and a half million sterling, plus obviously the usual uh, auction house and buyers premiums and so on and so on. But it was just, it was just the fascination of watching people wait to see if they ought to come back into the to the bidding um and the say but that was that was chicken feed by comparison at 19 and a half million sterling compared to this imagine having bought the the 250 gto and pre you know previously held the record you'd feel reasonably good about yourself but you you look like a relative pauper by comparison now don't you it's you know mm. if uh, if you're keeping up with the joneses they've just bought a uh a brand new Lamborghini, and you've got a, a second-hand Mazda MX-5 by comparison. It's just not <laughs> not quite there, is it? But I think it's. Uh, speaking of uh, of auctions, I just had uh, an interesting email, and if uh, if you've got your web browsers open at home or uh, or chats this evening, have a look at uh, classiccarauctions.co.uk. Uh, that's classiccarauctions.co.uk, and have a look at the uh, the CCA summer sale. Uh, which is happening on Saturday the 18th of June. So we, uh, we haven't quite got another payday in between now and then. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, there's some really interesting bits of kit on this one. I mean, the, the lot number 502, so the, the second one in this particular auction, a 1992 Volvo 460 CD. Ah. Hey, Reg. Ooh. And it's, uh, it's, it's rather nice. And we then have a, a Rover 100 and then a couple of uh, Jaguars and Rover P5Bs and things like that, uh, Silver Clouds. But the, the, the range of cars in this auction is uh, absolutely phenomenal. Nissan Patrols and Land Cruisers. There's an Austin 7 Nippy here, apparently it's a car, but it just looks like a collection of bits to me. The reason the email had, uh, had caught my attention was the uh, some rare Japanese classics on there. There's a 1998 uh, Subaru Impreza GT Turbo 555 all-wheel drive, which is a rather pretty-looking thing. Uh, finished in blue, as it should be with gold wheels. Guide price of ten to twelve thousand pounds. I'm quite tempted by that. That that, that seems, seems quite very reasonable to me. Yeah. For uh, for that 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 looks like a one of them. What Colin McRae had, and that'll uh, that'll do me. Um, but the uh, yeah, there's a. Uh, couple of Aston Martins, so uh, Mr. Gates, if you're listening at home uh, to this later on, have a, a look at those. But some uh, some really interesting stuff, and I think some stuff that, that won't actually break the bank, and it all looks quite collectible. Uh, a couple of TVRs, uh, Rover SD1. Um, but there's when you look at some of the uh, the reserve prices, they, uh, they catch you. I mean, there's, there's a couple of Jaguar E-types offered without reserve, but I can't imagine that means they're going to be cheap. That's a rarity. Yeah, that means it's uh, no, we'll be fine. It's okay. That's going to go for a lot of money. Some nice old school Japanese stuff, which uh, which always interests me. Well, just just below the uh, the two thousand and two Renault Avantime Privilege, uh, which is also offered without reserve. I'm not quite sure how much that'll go for. Um, and some old school uh, old school Fords as well, uh, new school Fords. Uh, there is a 
1990 Supra, which is uh, a rather fantastic looking thing, uh, and then a couple of later Supras, the uh, the slightly more desirable Fast and Furious spec, um, at, uh, with a guide price of 35 to 40,000, uh, and then I think an even nicer one uh, with a guide price of 45 to 50,000 pounds. And um, yeah, when the uh, well, it's it's just odd when you see a Supra with a reserve price higher than a Ferrari. I don't don't quite understand. It's extraordinary, that. isn't it? Well, the movies um, have um, have done that, haven't they? It's mm. uh, very much inflated. I remember when they first came out; it must have been what ninety two, ninety three, that sort of era of Supra. Ninety two, I think. You used to see quite a few around. Now, when you see one, it's quite an event, and most of them, I think, are, are Japanese imports, aren't they? Because they've got the square plates on them. But yes. it's it's lovely to say. I mean, it's a it is a very pretty looking thing. But I wouldn't be spending fifty grand on one. I tell you where I would put my money though, and uh, I'm going out on a limb here and saying that I'm not going to be Alan Partridge. The 1995 Rover 100 Kensington SE. They have rebadged it. You fool! It is just a mini metro, and I would be driving it. But it's offered without reserve, and it does look fantastic. Twenty seven thousand miles. It's a very shiny thing, isn't it? It is, and I don't know whether or not it has the wooden gear knob. Might be a deal breaker that, but it's uh, <laughs> it's certainly in very very good condition. And if you do want some, a very, I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan of Practical Classics magazine, and uh, I do like its accessibility of the everyday sort of thing. This is obviously what they're they're more interested in, and this would basically tick the box. You turn up at any car show in that, and whether or not it's being derided or whether it's being admired, you'd certainly get plenty of attention, probably as much attention with that as you would if you turned up in something like a, just a, just a, something like a Ferrari 360 from 2000. I, I mean, to be honest, I think I'd be more interested in looking at the, uh, the Met, sorry, not the Metro, the Rover 100 <laughs> Kensington SE. I think you would, but then there's, there's the odd uh, random barn find in there which is a uh, purely a collection of bits or a chassis or needs a lot of work but the uh the 2001 on a y plate volkswagen golf cabriolet uh automatic Ooh. that's uh, a garage barn find i'm not quite sure why that was tucked in a barn in the first place but that's uh that's an odd thing so maybe that will go for a couple of hundred quid i'm not sure but there's a uh, yeah a very uh, a very mixed bag i'll be watching that one with interest very much so i was uh at a traction engine rally at hadlow down on Sunday afternoon, and, and we only popped up there for a couple of hours, because I hadn't realised, uh, I took the grandson there, but I hadn't realised that it also included a car show. A couple of things caught my eye. Uh, one was a 1951 Anglia. That was the E93A. And it's very rare you see an Anglia. Uh, you often see the uh, prefect and the popular of the same sort of era. Uh, but it was one of the few cars I've ever sold that I actually made any money on. Uh, I sold, well, I bought it for £7.10. Uh, it's a 1951. It was a very long time ago, yes. <laughs> I sold it for £22 old pounds. Um, and the gentleman uh, that was showing it, and it was it was very nicely restored, but not overly, uh, and that was uh, £4,200 wow. he was wanting for that, which I thought was very reasonable. The other thing that I, that I did particularly like, apart from some of the American sort of lead sleds that were there, weighed down with vast amounts of chrome, um, was a Woolsey Hornet. So back to uh, uh, sort of practical classics and affordable classics. And the old gentleman, uh, slightly older than me, um, had spent years restoring that, and it was, it was just very nicely done. And that was his hobby. His retirement hobby was restoring a Woolsey Hornet. Well, that's not a bad thing. 
They're very nice looking little cars. I'm I'm yeah. just looking further down the list here. I mean, Jim's just been showing us through the miracle of Zoom the rather nice looking VR6 Corrado, which is in the right colour as well. That that plum yeah. aubergine purple. Oh my god, it's absolutely the colour to have. Was that a storm or was that just a, a so called cooking VR6? That one because the the storm was always the one to have, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the uh, the the storm was uh, was the one you wanted. Uh, but this is just a, a normal in inverted commas uh, VR6 in a twilight violet pearl, so they call the colour. Um, but it's uh, no very nice with a sumptuous heated black leather seats, so they describe it. They were very quick. I, I drove one, well, I road tested one in period and a uh, uh, very, very quick motor car. Very enjoyable drive. I'm, I'm a big fan of the VR6, as you know, and that one certainly made a fantastic noise. I had a friend who had a, a G60, obviously not the VR6, and they're quite, I mean, they were rare anyway, and that thing made quite a nice noise when the supercharger was, was up and running, but I did know someone who had a VR6 as well, and it just made the most fantastic noise once you really caned it. It was quite nose heavy in those which they always said the 1.8 or the 16 valve was the one to go for because you know the balance was better but do you know what i think i'd still have the vr6 just for the noise if nothing else and the sheer go in a straight line and it still handled mm. i can remember driving the uh, mercedes 320 coupe and slightly later just a few weeks later driving the the five liter version and the 320 just handled a lot better it didn't have quite the grunt, but it was still a very, very quick road car and a very, very enjoyable drive. And it was more stable than the 500, which a lot of people, apparently a lot of Grand Prix drivers of that era would have that. But I just found it a little more of a handful than the 320. Well, they always said the sweet spot in the 156 Alpha range was the, the two-litre twin spot, which is the one I had. I mean, everyone mm. said the V6 was fantastic, made a wonderful noise, and it did look awesome and go very, very well. But the um, the handling of the the two liter was allegedly a bit better, and I never really drove them back to back. But I would say the uh, it's it still had plenty of go. I mean, that was the one that got me my three points. So uh, I can testify to its speed and smoothness, if nothing else, because I didn't know I was doing the speed I was doing. That that'd be me not paying attention. Rather smaller Volkswagens, uh, 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 the G forty, which was the supercharged Polo. Oh yeah, that, nice. That cost me six points. Oh, many years ago. Was it and, worth and, it? And, uh, well, it, it was. Uh, I really enjoyed the drive and uh, the uh, the baffled policeman who wanted to know. Uh, yeah, I'm going back a long way now. The baffled policeman who wanted to know why I didn't know the number plate of my vehicle. It's, it's not my vehicle. Uh, I'm just test driving it. Oh, <laughs> very well, fast. It, it hasn't got a proper number plate. Well, it had a personalized plate and it, the dealer had put his personalized plate on it. But that was a very quick little car. Great fun to drive, but. Six points, but it's a bit expensive. <laughs> a couple of cars that we've had a bit of interest in over the uh, the last few weeks, and um, just thinking back there, Graham, to your your six point extravaganza back in the day. One mm. car which would probably have trouble getting you in any trouble when it came to speed is the Citroen Ami, which, as you know, we um, we went to the Farnborough Fully Charged show a few weeks ago, and I, I got to have a good look at the Ami and a, and a number of others, as you'll have heard in the previous episode. And the Ami really is a fun little thing. And uh, finally, they've released prices. And, drum roll please, you can get one of these from the 
not necessarily that cheap price for something that will only do 40 odd miles on a charge and uh, up to 28 miles an hour uh, for 7695 starting price or they go up to uh well a bit more than that and you can get a van version but i don't know I think we're going to see quite a few of these, particularly if you live in London or any of the big cities. I'm looking forward to it, actually. It's roughly comparable with the, the, the cost of a train ticket from outside London to into London, isn't it? So as long as you live mm. within the range, it's cheaper to buy one and just throw it away when you get there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just park it nose into the curb and abandon it because no one's going to steal it, are they? Yeah, but, that's it. Yeah. Oh, it, it's a fun little thing. I must admit, when I, when I saw it at... Um, at Farmer a few weeks back, I I really was quite taken with it. I mean, it's it's willfully different, isn't it? It's got lots of very pragmatic designs in it. The doors hinge one way on one side and the other on the other, but they are interchangeable. So it's the same thing. They don't have to make one for left, one for right. Um, I think I'm right in saying they're only going to produce it in left-hand drive because there probably isn't the demand for right-hand drive. But the thing is so narrow and so small anyway, you can probably reach across, pull the door shut, from the driver's seat anyway it's it's not designed to be a proper car it's a quadricycle and you can register it as thus so it's same as the twizzy so 16 year olds can drive this on a uh, motorcycle license i think i'm right in saying but yeah looking forward to seeing these they're um they're quite funky little cars aren't they yeah i certainly like the look of them and it's um yeah they they fulfill a need but do it in a nice way in a fun way and if it's just something for buzzing about in and Although seven and a bit thousand pounds is still a chunk of change these days, it is it actually that much for a car? It's it's probably not. Bearing in mind the average price of most motor cars at the moment, it's it's very keenly priced, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, and it's basically bog symbol. No, no air conditioning, no radio, no nothing. I mean, you can plug your phone in, but I mean, kids today, do they want a radio? No, and it's probably going to be youngsters, young young people, the kids today. This is what they want, so they'll be plugging in their um, their iPods or God knows what they have these days. And well, uh, probably, yeah. probably not their iPods because they no, they don't exist anymore. They're, those are vintage now, aren't they? Indeed. Well, all right, the hipsters will be plugging in their <laughs> iPods. Then that's probably that. That's probably the target market. They know what they're doing, don't they, Citroen? Anyway, looking forward to seeing a few of those on the road. Uh, the other car that we um, we did see, and it's bit more of a proper car if that's the that's the phrase was the uh the much vaunted aura cat a big fan of that being the lost in the jungle somewhere mr gates who will apparently be joining us next week so stay tuned yes he he's a big fan of the aura cat and having seen it in the flesh as i did i can see why it's very pretty very cute they didn't like it when i called it cute they called it um i can't remember what he said in the end but uh it was it went down well, whatever it was. It's it's a lovely looking little thing. There's a number of interesting design cues in there, not least the Mini, I think, if uh, we're being honest. But also some Porsche design cues, which might have something to do with the fact that uh, a former Porsche designer had a hand in the design of the Aura Cat. And uh, they were being a bit cagey with the price when I spoke to them, but uh, I think we all agreed it was going to be about £30,000 because that's the cutoff for the government's um, electric car subsody. And lo and behold, it is available, the launch edition for, guess what, £30,000. And yeah. it, it's a great looking little thing. I mean, no cars are cheap these days, as you say, Jim, but thirty grand for a little car like that that's going to be pretty nippy and can do quite a lot of miles on a charge, that's not too bad. Not much competition that, that looks as good, to be honest. 
Yeah, I think Mike and I were uh, were chatting about cars like that, and it's, it is just waiting for the next car to, to sort of break through and do something a bit different, I think. So we were chatting about the, the price of EVs and how much they've gone up or been adjusted or the lack of suppliers led to uh, to fewer discounts therefore the average price seems to be creeping up and all of these uh, these electric cars that are you know when they first came out were early 40s if you were lucky but now seem to be mid to late 40s starting price and you can easily spend 50 60 70 thousand pounds on what is essentially quite a normal family car albeit an electric one you know it's it's odd, but they can play around at that price point of forty, fifty, sixty thousand pounds because they're they're electric, they're new, they're a novelty. How long before a manufacturer comes in and offers actually it does everything that the sixty thousand pound car does, but it's thirty thousand pounds? Is does that lead to a, a massive shake up for some of the bigger manufacturers? You know, will it hit Ford and and sales of the Mac E when you can get a car that's oh well, that's electric and that's a decent range as well, but it's half the price. Oh yeah, but this one's got X, one Z. Yeah, but this one's half the price. Yeah, but this one's got a nicer bit on the top of the dashboard where the stroke. Yeah, but this one's half the price. And that it's it's that you know, do you like it or do you double the price like it? And uh, it goes back to um, certain cars like the uh, we were chatting about my old uh, BMW, my 330e, and the the monthly cost of acquiring one of those was ever so slightly cheaper than a Focus ST at the time. Hence, I went for the BMW. And, and it came down to, well, they're both about the same power, a uh, little bit more in the BMW, but it's slightly heavier. So the 0-60 was identical. Handling 3 Series, fine handling car, the Focus may be a better bumpy B-Road blaster, but ultimately they were the same money or the BMW was a bit cheaper. So I went for the BMW. And why wouldn't you? Step up into the next price bracket and compare, let's say, the Focus RS to the BMW M3, and then all of a sudden, well, hang on, the RS is, is a third of the price or it's half the price. So in, in the lower end, you, you'd pick the BMW 330 any day over the Focus ST. But if it came down to the RS or the M3, you'd probably save yourself 60 grand and buy the Focus RS at the time. So it's, it becomes a very different proposition when, uh, when you can play at that cheaper end of the price market. And that, that is going to upset some of the, uh, the slightly more established manufacturers, I think. I think some of those manufacturers will be uh, maximizing their return on their investment to develop the newer cars and the, the batteries and all the technology. But as you say, somebody will come into the market with a, a deal breaker, a, a car which is pretty much all of the things that anybody would want from a current electric car, but two thirds of the price, perhaps something around 2025. 20, yes, I think is uh, going to get a lot of sales, but we might be a little way away from that yet. There are a couple of, uh, of slightly worrying comments, to my mind, from uh, Jim Farley, uh, the boss of Ford in America, over the last couple of weeks. One was actually from Stuart Rowley, I think, and he said that over the next few years, Ford are going to use their internal combustion engine side of the business to be the, the engine room of Ford and, and plough all of the lovely profit they're going to make out of selling those into EV research and then bin off the internal combustion side entirely, one would assume which is fine in theory. I'm not sure how they're going to do that, bearing in mind the chip shortages. If you're selling two tenths of all, then that kind of hampers your uh, your income slightly. <laughs> uh, but there was yeah, the comment from Jim Farley that said he'd, he'd looked at Tesla figures and, and how much money they made out of selling each car. And, and he said it was like a revelation to him. He said it was, it was just an absolute 
angelic chorus game-changing eye-opening revelation of a moment it's like oh hang on we can make money at selling evs yes it's the future didn't you know that before and shouldn't you have thought of that sort of eight to ten years ago really and yes and, and it's it's a little bit worrying that they've only just suddenly worked that out but that uh, that did coincide with a reasonably hefty price rise in uh, in the UK and across Europe and America as well. And it, but it was just that oh hang on we can make money out of selling these and they just put the price up five thousand pounds euros dollars or whatever currency their uh, the local market works in. And, and it, but it just seemed a bit odd to me. It was like well hang on why is it five thousand pounds more? What have you done to the one I could have bought yesterday for five thousand pounds less to make it worth five thousand pound more? Uh, oh we've added profit to it. Okay. Maybe there's a historical lesson to be learned there. One reads uh, a certain Mr. Henry Ford, who started the, the whole shebang of that particular company. Um, w- when the Model T was uh, starting to be very successful, he started to put the prices up quite dramatically and quite rapidly. Um, and his thinking was basically what you've just expressed, which is, hang on, if I can sell that many cars, I can make a bit more profit because people will still be buying them. So, you know, he was the ultimate salesman. He just kept putting the prices up and selling more and more cars. There's no reason you can't take that business model and add it to uh, the EV current marketplace. Mm. Well, I suppose it's, uh, it's not if it's uh, if you're selling something for um, yeah, a very skinny profit margin, you need to sell a lot of them. And you put the price up and up and up and up and up until uh, nobody buys it, or I suppose you only sell one. If you just put the price at 135 million, you probably only <laughs> need to sell one. So it's uh, and which uh, which one is less effort? It's probably less effort to sell one car for 135 million than it is to sell 135 million cars at a pound each, isn't it? Right, so, right, so you need to know the right people who are going to pay that amount of money, though. And there's there's far fewer of those than people that will pay the pound. It's finding the sweet spot between the two, I guess. No, I'm yeah, not in sales, though. So. That's the tricky thing, isn't it? But if it's <laughs> if it's 135 million and you only need one, then um, yeah, I prefer those odds. I think. Who's heard of the SSC Tuatara? Bless you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, I mispronounced it at first. I thought it was Tora Tora. I thought we were back to Pearl Harbor again. <laughs> oh, careful. Well, <laughs> apparently it is the latest and quite possibly, though it is debatable, the fastest car that has been recorded anywhere on the face of the Earth. We don't know about any other planets. If they're measuring those and anyone has any details, do pass them on. But apparently uh, the SSC Tuatara, which is the product of uh, what was the Shelby company, has hit 295 miles per hour. And it's basically something that looks not dissimilar to something that would come from the Pagani company and uh, allegedly boasting 1,770 PS, or that's about 1,700 BHP in old money, isn't it? Or 1,302 kilowatts from its 5.9-litre twin-turbo V8. That is a lot. It's quite the piece of kit, this, isn't it? And there's been some controversy as to whether or not this thing has actually done the speed it's done. There's, there, a video was <laughs> released of it sort of caning down what used to be a, a space shuttle runway somewhere in Florida, I believe. Basically, it did a one-way trip of 331 miles per hour, which apparently is inadmissible because you have to obviously do it two ways to allow for wind and curvature of the Earth if you're going that speed, probably. But if you watch the video 
of uh, Ollie Webb, a Le Mans racer, British chap, doing this run in 2020. The speed at which it continues to gain speed up into the sort of 200s and 300s. Normally, you get to that sort of point and you're starting to really slow down as the, the coefficient of drag starts having an effect. But this thing is just basically going and going and going. And I think that got some people's um, spidey senses tingling a bit. They said, hang on a minute, that's not real. I think SSE said, yeah, actually it wasn't. But it's not unrepresentative. And apparently this thing has now done a legit 295. So that's not shabby. I'm just watching the uh, the video of it now. And it's, uh, yeah, I think that lots of the comments uh, do say, as you said, the, uh, the, the fact it's still accelerating reasonably well at 295 indicates over 300 is, is fine. Normally these high-speed runs, you're inching out the... The, the last little point something of a mile an hour. And I remember the James May uh, Bugatti Veyron, wasn't it? And he's just, and it's flicking, flicking, flicking. And it just took that and it went up and it went down. It just took that extra little bit to hit the speed. And he was quite chuffed with it. But he was sat there for quite a while watching it attain that. But just uh, just to give a bit of a, a live commentary. I mean, starting the uh, the video now, just paused it. And it's uh, he's doing 7.3 miles an hour. Uh, so to, to put this in some kind of context, it's 10.20, so he gets a reasonably steady start, I would say, because it's, it's a bit bumpy on this bit, and he's off 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 120, 130, 140, 150, 60, 70, and it's, it's the, the, this head bobbing when the gear changes, 200 miles an hour now, 210, 220, 230, 240, Gear change 250, 260, <laughs> 265, 270, 275, Lift off. 280, 285, and it's, it's just going 87, 290. It's just going and going. But is how stable his hands are on the steering wheel at 295 miles an hour is, is absolutely insane. It, it just looks rock solid at that speed. That's a tribute to its aerodynamics as well, isn't it? That it's just obviously not lifting at all at that speed, and that's uh, that's very impressive. No, although the the bump that he just went over at 120 miles an hour looked a bit painful, if I'm honest. But well, apparently it's it's got one of the um, if not the best um, coefficient of drag of any car of its type. It basically slips through the air, which would probably explain how it's able to keep going at such an impressive rate even into the sort of very high three figures that you've just described there and it, and it did seem unnaturally quick even at that speed when you compare it as you say with James May doing the Bugatti on the Aerolease and uh, test track sort of 10 12 years ago whatever it was he reached a point at which it was going I can't really go much faster than this it's it's really stupidly we hit we've hit a wall of air and we can't overcome it this thing's ridiculous it's very lightweight as well which is probably helping it's not got a great big heavy body that the the bugatti veyron even the lightweight one that james may was driving was trying to force through the air i mean physics is physics isn't it but it's apparently outrun the koenigsegg the fastest koenigsegg does 277 miles per hour and it's sort of gone to that the bugatti a piffling 267 and this thing you know is getting up to 295 and i don't doubt for one minute it's going to do well over the 300 and then there's us eking things out and sticking our speed limiters on motorways at 67 to obviously not have to shell out the two pound a litre that we're now looking down the barrels of oil barrels sadly um it's another world really isn't it i do wonder what that costs per minute 
to run at 300 <laughs> miles an hour in fuel. I'd, I'd be guessing it's quite a lot. What was it, the old Carroll Shelby trick when he was uh, selling the earliest days of the 427 Cobras? And he used to stick, a, I think it was a $100 bill on the windscreen. And if you could grab the, uh, the $100 bill off the windscreen as he was going up through the gears, you could keep it. Um, and he didn't lose many of them um, because, you know, the, the, the acceleration was, was brutal. Good luck to anyone who can afford to put fuel in one of those things these days. I mean, you drain the tank in the blink of an eye and then you'll be, like you said earlier on, you'll be looking for mortgage brokers at the nearest petrol station. That could be a market, couldn't it? Setting up in the corner of your local <laughs> shell offering easy terms. You know, Or take your firstborn or a kidney, which is whichever's easier for you. Well, I find it very difficult driving with only one arm and leg these days. Any minute now, isn't it going to lapse into, um, you know, sort of having to be governed by the Financial Conduct Authority or something like that? It's going to be so much money that you will actually need financial advice before you're allowed to hand your money over. <laughs> exactly. So, on that um, riches to rags story, well, <laughs> it's probably time that we, we wrap it up. It's been fun having a chat with you all, and uh, here's hoping we actually manage to cover some miles before the, the petrol goes up to such a price that we're basically back to walking everywhere. I might have to find my bike. I mean, it's been a while since I rode that, since it was serviced, but uh, it's starting to look like the most attractive option. Not that I'll look like a particularly attractive option riding that bike. <laughs> Just in advance of uh, prices probably going up again, I think I'll fill the, uh, the Fiesta up with fuel this week in advance of the track day next week but uh, a chap we used to work with was into uh, into riding bikes and used to do quite a few charity rides and and events around brands hatch on his bike and, uh, and i just you know remember think you, you know you're allowed to take cars around there you know you can take sort of you know things and they're much easier because they uh, the run up i mean going down paddock hill bend on a bike could be fun but the run up to druids wouldn't be a lot of fun but i think any minute now the bike might look like the more attractive option well they used to have bicycle racing at brooklands perhaps it's time they reinstated this you know in these straightened times we're in, we're, uh, we're going back in so many ways in this country. Maybe that's yet another one we're going to be revisiting. But anyway, for now, I wish you well. I've been Dave. Take care. I've been Jim. Good night all. Good night from me, Graham. Take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.